was the candle of hope on the first Sunday of Advent. The second candle was the candle of love, the love of God that was shown through proof, through him giving his son to us. And last week was the candle of joy, of God being the source of our strength. So the joy of the Lord is our strength. And then finally, today is a candle of peace. And I think it's uh, fitting on a, on a peaceful morning like today to experience peace. And I pray that this peace will strengthen us. And then finally, next Sunday, we'll have the Christ candle lit before us. Let me open up in a word of prayer. God, we thank you for once again uh, giving us an opportunity to prepare our hearts for uh, what we must not miss, what we must not ignore, what we must not neglect. Because uh, your word, you've said to us, Lord God, what, what's the game, what's the What's the purpose of life if you gain the entire world but lose your soul? And Lord, you said to us, if you, for my sake, lose the world, you will gain your soul. And I, Father, I pray that, Lord, there will be a, tr- a change in our hearts, that we will not be driven by the, by the rush of this world, by the torrent of just what the world culture is all about as flowing against the kingdom of God. But let us today be discerning. So we can find the way forward in this life that's wise. So truly when the testing comes by fire, the trial comes by fire, we will not be condemned. We will not be judged, but that we will stand righteous. I pray everyone here, all of our families will be able to stand up proud, stand up, Lord, confident on the day of the Lord's return. And that our hearts will not be uh, condemning us, but that, Lord, we'll know that you are greater than our hearts and that you have already made a way for us. Jesus, you are the way, and we're here before you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Wow. I think, uh, I don't remember if I said before, but remember there was a time, I think, I don't know how many months ago, but I said, wow, this was the busiest week of my entire life. You guys remember that Sunday? Well, I'm here to say that again. I don't know how I'm here. I feel like I'm out. I'm not in my body. I was helping a, a massive, massive retreat for our Korean ministry, something they haven't done in 10 years, and it was a huge event, and it required every drop of my blood and my sweat, okay? But I'm here, but even till yesterday, I was so busy, but I don't know, I feel great, amen? I just feel a little bit like, a little bit jet-lagged, but I'm, I'm here, I'm good, okay? So today, we're here on the final Sunday of Advent, the fourth Sunday, and we've been talking this entire Advent season of how God when he's about to do something powerful, when he's about to do a miracle in our lives, he builds a community of people. He never sends you on a mission and says, you're it, good luck. When God calls you, he calls you to, into a body, into a family. It could be two, it could be three. It doesn't matter how big it is, but there needs to be a community around you so that when God puts his will, his plans in your life, you will not falter, you will not crumble but you'll be able to stand. So the first Sunday, remember Mary, when she heard this, the, the word of God, the news from God that she's going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit, she realized it's going to ruin her entire life. But she said yes to God's will. And we thank Mary for doing that. And But it wasn't Mary alone. Elizabeth, six months before that, already had her miracle at an elderly age to also conceive. And they were able to console, to comfort each other, become a team, 
and realize, let's go. Encourage each other as long as it is called today so that the sin's deceitfulness will not harden our hearts. That was a picture of how God wants to develop in your life an Advent community. And then he moved from there to remember Joseph, right? Joseph, his, her fiancé had to be convinced too because Joseph was about to divorce her quietly for her sake and so her reputation would not be uh, ruined. But then the angel visited him in the, in the dream and said, no, 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 this is God's will. I know it doesn't make sense, but this is good for you. So go home and take her as your wife who's already pregnant. And Joseph does that. Thank Joseph that he did that. And then not, not only that, Jesus continues the work. Now John the Baptist is born, and we realize John the Baptist did an amazing work of preparing the way for Jesus Christ. So when the Messiah came, there were already people hearing about it and preparing so they could receive Jesus. And it did. All of his disciples basically became Jesus' disciples. And then today we're going to, I was asking the Lord, who else, Scott? I was talking about these people, and I was like, I don't know anyone. But then the Lord reminded me, the Magi were also part of this Advent preparation community, community of bringing Jesus to the earth. So for those of you who have, um, you can go to the next slide. <clears throat> Here are the Magi. Here's a picture of how we would uh, imagine. Uh, you've probably seen this everywhere, right? Uh, these Magi, right, another translation, they say uh, wise men. Or another translation says astrologer. It's a kind of difficult word to uh, translate, okay? Uh, but you can imagine the word magi is where we get the word magic in English, okay? So these are people who were uh, originally not Christian. They were people who were uh, into mystic arts, into divination and all this, right? But somehow it's kind of random. In fact, in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, only Matthew talks about the magi. And I'm going to explain why he did that. It's kind of mysterious. Who were these people? Why did they come here? What did they bring? And what was the whole point? It just comes and goes, right? But as you know, these uh, magi, we know they came from the east. Because, you know, you can, if you can imagine uh, where Israel is, where Jerusalem is, we're talking about where Italy, uh, where uh, Egypt is in the bottom, and that Mediterranean. And the east would be, you know, like uh, it could be China, could be Korea. They, maybe they're Koreans. I don't know. Maybe they're Japanese. Uh, maybe they're even more east, like, I don't know, like Polynesian. I don't know. But they're from the east. It doesn't say where. We can't, we, nobody knows, okay? But these guys came, and the next slide you can see, they brought three gifts. And here is a big uh, misconception. Just because they brought three gifts, uh, for thousands of years, people thought they were three kings. No, no, no. In fact, it actually probably was hundreds of kings. Or magis. They call them, I don't know when they started calling them kings, but they're important, influential people. And it's, they brought three gifts. It could have been ten of them. It could have been a hundred of them. It could have been a thousand of them. They probably traveled in large uh, numbers. Back then, you don't just, three of your buddies just go out into the, uh, you know, on, on a, a five-month hike through the desert uh, in, the, in, the, in those days. You bring your army. You bring your, you know, uh, cook. You bring your cleaners, your laundry people, your chauffeurs, uh, whatever, you know, vets, all that. So anyway, so a large amount of people. So that's why Herod, the King Herod, noticed this foreigners coming and they were like, hey, what are you guys doing? Tell me about it as you read in our scripture. By the way, uh, Hajin has such a nice voice. Amen? Yeah, I feel like you should work for like a podcast of him, right? You know, very soothing voice. Kind of like David too. But anyways, these, these guys came and the value that they understood these three things. I want to explain why these things are symbolic. They 
kind of estimated to be about three to four million dollars of today's worth. So these guys weren't just like, you know, going on a picnic and say, oh, who's this baby? It's just here, take some of our leftover. No, these guys prepared this for probably generations. These guys are serious about preparing the way for Jesus Christ. Even before Mary, uh, Joseph, even before uh, John the Baptist was born. So these guys, uh, the gold, first of all, the giving gold as a gift to a newborn was a practice in that time, in that region, in those days, to celebrate the birth of a king. So the gold signifies that this baby is not just an ordinary baby who had no room and was born in a manger. This baby is a king from out of this world. The frankincense is, uh, by the way, frankincense and myrrh are both things that come from tree resin. Um, I don't know if you, if you know uh, any, like, uh, biologists or whatever, but when you cut into certain trees and you make an incision, you make some kind of a, a, a scar, it starts bleeding, and then this, the, the, the sap that comes out of it hardens and becomes different resins, and you can burn it for different things. The frankincense, for example, was used for a long time as a fragrant thing. When you burn this, em uh, not ember, this resin from the tree is very fragrant. And in the scriptures, uh, the priests would use it in the temple because imagine right now we worship very clean. But to worship God, you have to bring an animal and you have to kill it. And the blood and you got all the guts, they smell. So the priests would, you know, put, uh, light the frankincense, stuff like incense like that. So it will fill the room with aroma. And it was actually a symbol of prayer. So this, this shows us a significance that they have come to, that Jesus himself is an offering to God, pleasing offering, that Jesus was to live his life as an offering to worship God. Jesus' purpose in life was to be a worshiper, a priest, a, a, someone who lifts up his life to God. And finally, myrrh was a little bit uh, different kind of material. Sometimes you could burn it to, for good smell. It doesn't smell as nice, but myrrh had medicinal pr properties. It was used especially for embalming. And when someone dies and you wrap them in the cloth, usually you use the myrrh so that the body will not decay as fast. And then you would kind of uh, allow it to be, uh, it, it's what's called an analgesic effect, painkiller. In fact, when Jesus was on the cross, and they gave him a, a bitter drink to drink. It was probably mixed with something like myrrh so that it could um, ease his pain. It tastes horrible, but it's like, you know, if you went to the dentist, when they do the thing, it tastes really bad, right? It, some of it squirts out, and you, you actually taste it. You taste it for days. So anyways, these are things that show us that these people were not just random uh, hitchhikers or passerbys that suddenly saw a star and they're like, ooh, cool, let's go check it out. I want to explain to you how important these people were and where they came from. And before I do that, we 